Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Arizona Diamondbacks 6, the Cleveland Guardians 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. But that's not what you want to talk about this morning. You want to talk about the trade deadline, don't you? You want to talk about how the Guardians did not make a significant move at the trade deadline. I know. I know. I, I don't understand it either. I've got quotes. I've got, I've got other things. Look, so here's what we're going to do. As per tradition, we're going to talk about the game on the field first. We'll go over this loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Tristan McKenzie gave it the old college try, put in six innings of effort, but unfortunately the Guardians come out on the losing end of this thing. We're going to talk the game first, and then we will talk the trade deadline. Antonetti spoke to the media. Terry Francona spoke to the media about it. So we have some quotes, and we have a little bit of insight into the direction they're taking this team. So we'll get into it. We've also got an email uh, from our friend Chris in New Jersey. So he'll kind of lead us into that conversation. So let's talk the game first, and then I promise you we're going to spend plenty of time on the trade deadline. So the big storylines from this game. Because, yes, they still play baseball after the trade deadline. The big storylines from this game is a couple of pitches that Cleveland pitching left in the middle of the plate. I mean, that's really... Tristan McKenzie really struggles to get going in the first inning. Really put us in a hole in this first inning. And, uh, yeah, it's that's not a good way to start the game. I mean, the first four guys reach base in the game. That's not a recipe for success, including two walks to kick things off. Now, they're lucky that Josh Rojas ran himself out of the inning. Otherwise, of course, this is a four-run inning, right? Rojas runs himself out. He thought a ball, after stealing second base, he thought a ball would bounce away from Luke Maley. It didn't. It popped right up into his glove, and he throws Rojas out at third base. But then Alec Thomas draws the walk. Cattell Marte drops in a single, and uh, Christian Walker comes up. Man, I, Christian Walker showing the power in Cleveland. Uh, maybe this guy needs to hit in Cleveland full time. Uh, it's a, a decent at bat against McKenzie. Uh, McKenzie works it into a 2 2 count, gets him to foul off a couple of forcing fastballs, uh, gets him to take a couple of sliders, can't locate that slider, can't get him to chase that slider for strike three. Tries to come back with an inside fastball after throwing him a slider down and away. I kind of see the logic there, but Maley was set up middle in. And we talked about how Christian Walker's power comes from middle of the plate, whether it's middle in, middle, middle, or middle away. That's where all of Christian Walker's home runs come from. So I don't know why you're setting up middle in for a fastball. The problem is this fastball doesn't end up middle in. This fastball ends up middle, middle. I mean a dead center fastball, a bullseye on the dartboard. You could not ask for a more straight pitch. And remember, Tristan McKenzie's ball doesn't really fall off. It stays straight. And uh, he hammered this thing. Usually that's an advantage for McKenzie, not in this situation. A 93-mile-per-hour pitch is turned around at 108.4 miles per hour, 34-degree launching, 432 feet, way up there in left center field. An absolute missile from Christian Walker. Uh, it would be his only hit on the game, but it would be a big one. That's what happens when you guy that's hit, uh, get a guy that's hitting 203 
but with 20-plus home runs. Is he now up to 20? I think it was 25th home run on the season now. So, yeah, he only needs one a game. He only needs one, either, you know, a hanging slider, a hanging curve, a, a changeup that stays up. In this case, it's a fastball right down the pipe. And that's all he needs. He just needs one of those a game to impact the game in his way. So he gets the big home run in that first inning. And, you know, at first you're thinking, okay, 3 nothing. That sucks, right? But the Guardians actually make you feel like they're going to get back into this game. There might be a chance that they can crawl right back into this thing. Quan with a lead-off double. We haven't talked about this yet, but he's got a 16-game hit streak going. Uh, it's been really, really nice for Stephen Kwan coming out of the break. He just continues to be excellent in the leadoff spot. He's on base twice. Remember, we used to talk about this with uh, Cesar Hernandez when he used to lead off. His goal was to be on base twice, whether it was hits or walks. His job as a leadoff man is to be on base. So if he could be on base twice a game, he's really doing his job. So Stephen Kwan does it here. He's on base twice, including a leadoff double. Jose Ramirez would then bring him in to score. He would shoot one down the right field line. Unfortunately, this takes a really nice ricochet off the wall. It comes right to the right fielder. 99 times out of 100, when Jose Ramirez goes for second base, he's going to be in there. This was that one time. And he's thrown out at second. I, I don't care. I want Jose Ramirez going for a double every single chance he can get. So it brings in Stephen Kwan to score, but unfortunately the rally stops there. All right, three to one. You got to run back, right? Against a very good pitcher, Zach Gallen, uh, who's been pitching very well for the Diamondbacks this season. Uh, you get on the board early against him. All right, three to one. We got a baseball game going. Well, then in the second inning, we go ahead and we add to that. In the second inning, Gallen puts himself in a hole, just like Tristan McKenzie let off the game with back to back walks. Gallon's going to put two guys on in the second inning. He's going to hit Owen Miller with the pitch, and then he's going to walk Andres Jimenez. After Oscar Gonzalez hits him to a force out, it puts runners on the corner. Luke Maley comes up, and Maley shoots one through the left side for an RBI single, 105.2 mile per hour exit velocity. It looked like his eyes get huge. It looks like he knew a curveball was coming, and this curveball was middle of the plate. I mean, that's, I mean, that might be the top storyline of the game. Uh, all these pitches that are coming middle of the plate. All of the RBI hits that Gallon gives up in this game are middle of the plate, basically at the belt or just below the belt. That double that he gave up to Jose Ramirez was the lowest pitch. I would say middle at the thighs. Uh, the RBI could have been a double that he gave up to Jose Ramirez in the first. And then the two to Maley, the two RBI hits to Maley, in the second inning here, he just hangs a curveball, middle, middle. And then later, it would be a fastball, middle, just below the belt. So that is definitely a storyline of the game. All these RBI hits are coming from the middle of the plate. That three-run home run from Christian Walker, middle, middle. So this one to Luke Maley here, he just hangs him a curveball. And Maley either read it right out of his hand because his eyes get huge. And he rockets it through the left side. All right, we add another run. It's a 3-2 game. You're thinking to yourself, we really got a baseball game going here. And then in the uh, fifth inning, uh, they blow it wide open. Uh, two doubles in the inning. And uh, Carson Kelly just misses 
Well, it doesn't just miss a home run. He one hops the wall out there in right field, but he hammers it really hard. 97.9 mile per hour exit velocity. Uh, he would come back later and get his revenge and get his home run. Uh, but he hammers it out there to right center field. Alcantara would single. Uh, and then uh, after a Josh Rojas pop out with runners on second and third, Alec Thomas would come up and he would shoot a double down the right field line. It would get past a diving uh, Owen Miller at first base. We talked about Owen Miller's defense at first base the other day. Actually, this is a situation where Owen Miller has had better defense than Josh Naylor. He has been able to dive for balls uh, to his left, to his right. He has been able to come up with some of these grounders that maybe Naylor wouldn't come up with. It's the footwork at first base that usually lets him down. This time, however, he can't come up with it. It bounces over his glove. Um, and it ends up at being a two-RBI double down into right field. So, uh, you know, it's a good job of hitting by Alec Thomas. Uh, this one is actually, and I'm bouncing back and forth here between the scoreboard and the illustrator. This one is actually a curveball down, down below the knees, just, just below the strike zone on an 0-2 count. So I, you got to give credit to the hitter here, Alec Thomas. It's a good job of going down and getting this thing and pulling it down the right field line. So they get Tristan McKenzie, another crooked number here for McKenzie. So yeah, the crooked numbers really hurt him. Two pitches. Two pitches turn into the five runs that Tristan McKenzie gives up. Now it's considered uh, only four earned runs because there was an error by Straw on a throw. He was trying to get the runner going to third base in this inning and throws it in the dirt, which allows Alcantara to move up uh, to second base and get into scoring position for the Alec Thomas double. So technically it goes as an unearned run there. But his final line, six innings pitched, six hits, five runs, four earned, two walks, seven strikeouts, and the home run given up. Only four hard hit balls on the day from Tristan McKenzie. I mean, ugh, God, it was really close to being a good start. Those two walks in the first inning, right? He does pay for that a little bit because one of those ends up being the first run he gives up. So it wasn't really the walks that were killing him in this game. It was just he got caught in the middle of the plate. A couple times in this game, that leadoff double um, that he gives up was middle up. Both of Carson Kelly's uh, pitches that he hammers on the night. He would get, all right, let's just add it in there. Later, he gets a solo home run off Enel De Los Santos. It's a fastball that's middle up, just above the belly, just right there. A nice meaty pitch for Carson Kelly to hit. So both of his fastballs that he hit uh, were pitches that were up. And, uh, and they were fastballs middle of the plate. So, yeah, uh, that's the storyline of this game. These pitchers, both pitchers, just kind of got stuck middle of the plate. And when they did, they paid for it. And, I mean, for, for Tristan McKenzie, it's two pitches. It's really two bad pitches the entire game that he pays for. And I would say the, uh, the curveball to Thomas wasn't even a bad pitch. It was below the knees. He just hit it in the right spot. It wasn't even hard exit velocity. The exit velocity was only 80 miles per hour. It just, like we said, right spot. It just hops over uh, his glove there at first base. So an 80.6. It had an expected batting average of 180. To tell you, it wasn't hit very hard. It wasn't a great shot. It just got, man, lucky bat bip right there in the right spot. 
So that's the big storyline of the game for me. Uh, the Guardians offense, we would answer back in that sixth inning. We would answer back with a run um, in that sixth inning. Andres Jimenez would draw a walk. And then Luke Maley again would get another double. He would just miss hitting a two-run home run off the top of the left field wall at 106 mile, mile per hour exit velocity. Went 409 feet, uh, but it just hits off the top of the wall. And unfortunately, instead of a two-run home run there, uh, it's, you know, two-run home run really would have made this a tight game. It would have made it a 5-4 to four game. It stays 5-3, to three, and then they're able to add the solo home run. Uh, both catchers hitting in the eighth spot deliver multi-RBI games here. Uh, so, oh, I take that back. Carson Kelly only had one RBI. Um but they both he had multiple runs scored and only one RBI. But both catchers from the eighth spot, both light hitting catchers, are able to deliver some big hits on the day. So uh, yeah, it uh, their bullpen locks in after Gallon comes out. Kyle Nelson, Mantiply, and Ian Kennedy are very, very good. Uh, Mantiply with two strikeouts in the eighth inning, and then Ian Kennedy strikes out the side in the ninth. My God, Ian Kennedy just mowing them down. And not only that, he strikes out our entire right field platoon. He strikes out Oscar Gonzalez. He gets Will Benson looking, and then he strikes out Nolan Jones to end the game. The entire right field platoon all strike out in the ninth inning. That's that's kind of depressing. I got to be honest with you. I, you know, you expect a lot of pop from those three guys, and to see them all go down in that ninth inning back to back to back was not very encouraging. All right, so what were these pitchers doing in between getting hammered in the middle of the plate? Uh, what were they doing? Because they did have moments where they were both very effective. And for Gallon, it was the four-seam fastball. I mean, he only has four whiffs on the day. It's an 8% whiff rate. But he's got 11 called strikes on that four-seam fastball. It's good for a 43% CSW on that pitch. It's only a 23% CSW on the day. But so many of his strikeouts come via the looked looking strike, a backwards K. Uh, he's got five strikeouts on the day. Uh, let me double check that because, yes, five strikeouts on the day. You know, sometimes the illustrator here, uh, if two pitches are in the same location, or sometimes it just doesn't pick one up. So you never know. Sometimes when some of these dots just disappear on you on the illustrator on Baseball Savant. But he has got... A bunch of called strikes. He gets Miles Straw looking. He gets Owen Miller looking on pitches that were down and into the right-handers. Uh, man, right on the edge of the plate, right in that bottom corner. He gets Oscar Gonzalez frozen on a pitch away that's just slightly off the plate, but he gets the call. And he gets Luke Maley looking at a fastball away on a 3-2 count, locks him up. And then he gets Ahmed Rosario to chase a fastball up over his head on an 0-2 count. So out of his five strikeouts, Four of them come looking. They all come via the fastball. So, yeah, really locking us up. And then Ian Kennedy strikeouts in the ninth inning. Uh, first, he gets Oscar Gonzalez to chase a changeup away. He went to the changeup twice for the strikeout. Uh, two swinging strikes on that strikeout. On, the, on that changeup, two swinging strikes on that changeup. Both were the final strike in that strikeout. So he gets Oscar Gonzalez to chase a changeup down and away. Uh, he freezes Will Benson, freezes the lefty with a fastball that, frankly, ooh, that's middle of the plate. You can't be looking at that pitch. 
And then he gets Nolan Jones chasing a changeup down at the bottom of the strike zone to end the game. So yeah, uh, Ian Kennedy gets him, even gets a looking strike in there, but his changeup very effective for two strikeouts. Now over on the other side of things, Tristan McKenzie did have a few called strikeouts. He had a fastball that locked up Seth Beer, and then he had a curveball that froze Jake McCarthy in that first inning. Um, but everything else is then swinging strikes. He's got three fastballs up at the top of the zone. That's where McKenzie is hard to hit. Uh, so three swinging strikeouts there, and then two curveballs down at the knees or below uh, that he gets strikeouts on, including Christian Walker. Uh, gets a little revenge against Christian Walker, striking him out on a curveball in the sixth inning. So McKenzie was much more the swinging strikeout, and you'll see that his whiff rate is a lot higher. He's got a 34% whiff rate on the day, 17 whiffs on 50 swings. So that's a good job there by Tristan McKenzie. Uh, Frankly, McKenzie had great CSW numbers. He had a 38 overall CSW on the day. That's really good. Uh, The four-seam fastball was getting a decent amount of whiff. 10 whiffs on 28 swings, plus eight called strikes. It's a 38% CSW on that pitch. Uh, The curveball had a 43% whiff rate. Add in six called strikes, it's a 44% CSW on that pitch. Not to mention, they only put three curveballs in play, and the average exit velocity was 76.5. So really good job from the curveball. Unfortunately, one of those curveballs that was weakly hit is the one that goes for the two RBI double. Uh, So yeah, so that pitch was pretty good for him on the day. Like we said, you got to give credit to the hitter there who goes down and gets one and hits it in the perfect spot. So I thought Tristan McKenzie was pretty good on the day, except for two really bad mistake pitches. Uh, Yeah, that hurt. And then Sandlin finishes off the game for the bullpen with two quiet innings. So yeah, it was an interesting battle between McKenzie and Zach Gallen. Uh, Both had moments where they looked really, really good. And both had moments where they looked really, really bad. And unfortunately, McKenzie's bad moments came with crooked numbers, whereas Gallon's bad moments were so low runs given up in an inning. And I think that was the big difference in this game. All right, I think I've hammered through all my notes on this game. Uh, I think I've hammered through everything here. Uh, So let's move on from this game. MVP on the day. Ooh, man, that's that's a tough one. That's a real tough one. I mean, McKenzie pitched well at moments, but I think, I mean, I got to go with Luke Maley, right? Two RBIs on a day when we were looking for them to trade for a catcher. Uh, Luke Maley ends up with two RBIs on the day uh, and delivers, you know, the catcher hitting in the eighth spot, delivers two hits, including a double. So I think Luke Maley, surprisingly, Uh, is walking away with MVP on the day on this one. All right, now let's get into the trade deadline. Let's get into some of the things you want to talk about. And then I also want to talk about Will Benson for just a second because he's made his debut now. He hasn't gotten into start, which was weird because it was a right-handed pitcher. Why wouldn't you start one of your lefty-right fielders and save Oscar Gonzalez's start for facing the lefty today on our day game? But no, he started Oscar Gonzalez last night against a lefty, against a right-handed pitcher. I don't know. It's weird stuff. But Chris in New Jersey is checking in, and he says, as you might be, also, I'm utterly shocked that the front office did absolutely nothing to improve the Guardians roster for the 2022 playoff chase. But hey, at least they got maximum value. They got a AAA reliever, Ian Hamilton, for Sandy Leon. 
There had to be a scenario where bringing in catcher Sean Murphy from Oakland could have worked. He's controllable for a few years. He could help mentor Bo Naylor starting next year. The list goes on. Do we have to assume that the asking price from Oakland was too high to meet a demand? So here's what I'll say. Look, this is what Francona said, and this is what Antonetti said. The company line, the company line was we believe in the guys here, and we didn't want to mess up the clubhouse chemistry. That's what they're sticking with. Terry Francona said something similar. Mandy Bell had the quote about, you know, oh, you know, sometimes these trades muddy the waters. Uh, sometimes they're not as effective as you think they're going to be. And I'm like, Francona, you've seen effective trades. Like, you saw what happened when you brought Andrew Miller in. You've seen effective trades at the de- trade deadline before. Think about Jay Bruce. Remember the impact Jay Bruce made when we brought him in? You cannot tell me. You cannot tell me with two catchers, you know, hitting around 200. Now, the catching is an interesting thing. And Sean Murphy, yes, the asking price might have been too high. Catching is an interesting thing only because not only is it how do you fit in the lineup, but in the clubhouse, but also how do you handle our pitching staff. Now, all reports is Sean Murphy is a fantastic defensive catcher as well. So I think he would have fit right in with this pitching staff. And it's not like our pitchers are pitching incredibly lights out. It's not like, you know, we have anyone threatening to win the Cy Young this year, okay? I mean, the pitching has been good, but it has not been elite like it's been in the past. So I don't think bringing in, you know, taking away these guys' catcher, their personal catcher, is going to affect this pitching staff too negatively. So maybe the asking price just was too high on Sean Murphy. I mean, we saw trade packages, though. Oh, it's so frustrating. The Twins upgraded their pitching. They went and got Malley from Cincinnati, a guy I really had my eye on, who could have been a good starter here for two seasons. He's under contract for next year, too. Uh, They went out and got the closer from Baltimore, who frankly hasn't been that great, but until this year. He hasn't been that great until the first half of this year, and then he struggled recently. So, uh, you know, the Twins go out and add pitching, which is what we wanted the Guardians to do. I mean, does it affect the clubhouse that much to bring in a veteran reliever that really has experience that can be a setup man for Class A? Does it really affect the chemistry on the team that much? I can't imagine it does. Like, I understand the company line. They're like, we believe in these guys. They've been fighting all year, and we don't want to take away opportunities from them. I understand that with a corner outfielder. We were no longer asking for a corner outfielder. We got Stephen Kwan. He's amazing. We love him. We've got Nolan Jones finally up here. You gave us a corner outfielder. You went down to AAA, and you gave us a corner outfielder. Not only that, we've got Oscar Gonzalez. We've got Will Benson now up here. You've given us outfielders from AAA, so we understand that. That's not what we were asking for. We weren't asking for a shortstop to replace Ahmed Rosario. We love what Ahmed Rosario is doing right now. By the way, Ahmed Rosario in this game, my last note I had on here, he made a fantastic double play, a great defensive moment, really got McKenzie out of an inning uh, where he catches a line drive, leaps and catches a line drive, and then doubles up Alec Thomas at second base. So uh, good stuff there from Ahmed Rosario. So yeah, that's not where we were asking you to add. The catching position, though, I don't think Luke Maley is a linchpin in this clubhouse, on this team. You could have replaced him. And then it does not affect Bo Naylor. I'm sorry, those people that were complaining and saying, oh, we don't want to block Bo Naylor. That's not how the catching position works. In today's day and age, you need two catchers. 
Bo Naylor could have grown at the major league level with Sean Murphy getting 60% of the starts, you know? They could have shared that opportunity. You pinch hit for one of them, and then you got the other one coming into the game. We see it right now with Maley and uh, with Molly, you know, Luke Maley. Sorry, Maley, Molly's. I'm getting them confused. We've seen it right now with Luke Maley, and we see it with Austin Hedges, okay? So you need two catchers. You do. And we know Bo Naylor should be, he should be in spring training next year. He should be threatening to start. He is working on his defense. He's working on calling games right now. I don't think Bo Naylor is coming. I would be surprised if Bo Naylor comes up here, uh, barring injury. I would be surprised because I think there's still defensive things they want him to work on, calling games, things like that. There is a second side to catching that is very important, and you got to work out. Uh, but I expect him to be competing for the starting job as early as spring training. But bringing in the guy from Oakland uh, does not change that. Does not change that. And we saw trades. The Twins, when they traded for... Malley, I mean, they gave up a top 10 middle infielder. They gave up a top 20 pitcher and uh, maybe a top 25 outfielder. We have those prospects to spare. We could have made that trade. Uh, you know, throw in a Tyler Freeman and a Tanner Bibby and, a, you know, I don't know, a Jawenski Noel, and you've got that trade. You've got that comparable trade. That's the kind of guys you'd be looking at in our system to be comparable to what Minnesota gave up. Now, we're not talking about trades like the San Diego Padres made, the huge trade for Juan Soto, where they gave up everybody. I mean, San Diego really gave up like seven of their top 10 prospects at the trade deadline here. They really, really gave everybody to get Soto. That's not what we're asking the Guardians to do. We're not asking you to blow up the farm. But other teams were making trades. The Yankees go and get Matas for a reasonable package of pitchers. So, yeah. So, the Guardians sit on their hands. And the company line from both Francona and Antonetti, who, who talked to the media at least. God, the Cleveland media is so nice. I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting for the questions. And they, they ask them like three questions and let them off the hook. The, I, I got to be honest with you. I thought the Cleveland media was incredibly nice to Antonetti. I, I was shocked that they weren't hammering him more about some of the needs this team has. I mean, you can't lie to me and tell me, you can't be starting Brian Shaw every five days as a bullpen game and not tell me that another starting pitcher would have helped this team. All right, so Chris's last question is about the 40-man roster. Uh, I guess this only delays the inevitable until November where they'll be required to make some trades to consolidate talent or risk losing current minor league talent to the Rule 5 draft. I'm no front office executive, but I feel like waiting until the offseason to make trades substantially decreases leverage as the front offices will be even more acutely aware of the 40-man predicament they'll be in. I guess we can continue to experience the Austin Hedges and Luke Maley combination for now. Um, what I'll say about the 40-man roster and what Antonetti said uh, he didn't seem too concerned about the 40-man roster crunch. We've been talking about it. Other podcasts, the, the Selby is Godcast guys talk about it all the time. Um, they don't seem too concerned with it. They made it work this year, and they probably feel like they can make it work next year because a lot of the guys they added to the 40-man are now finding their way up here. Nolan Jones, Oscar Gonzalez, Will Benson, they're now on the roster. It's going to push some other guys out. They know some guys are going to fall off that 40-man roster after this season, uh, a Luke Maley is going to fall off, things like that. And so they will have room to bring a few guys on 
and they're not too worried about it. And what I'm guessing, what I'm guessing and what they see around baseball is remember with the 2020 season and then a bunch of guys all jump a level without actually playing in the minors in 2020, uh, I'm guessing a lot of teams have a roster crunch, a 40-man roster crunch, and have a lot of prospects they're afraid of giving up. My guess is, uh, you know, teams have to have room on their 40-man roster to take someone in the Rule 5 draft. They have to have room on their Major League roster. So maybe they're not as concerned with guys getting picked off in the Rule 5 draft because every team is kind of under the same crunch with losing that 2020 minor league season. So maybe it's not going to be as bad as we think with the look of the lineups and the rosters around Major League Baseball, right? So maybe there's that. But he did not seem too concerned with it. The last thing he said uh, in that press conference I thought was interesting was um, that for Mio Reyes, uh, you know, he's got to work on some stuff. And frankly, he's out of opportunities to work at it at the Major League level. In past seasons, uh, yeah, maybe a guy would have a chance to work through it at the major league level. But in this season, there's too many young guys coming up that need opportunities, and you cannot continue to have endless opportunities at the major league level. We saw it with Mercado. We saw it with Yu Chang. We now see it with Fermil Reyes, a guy we never thought it would happen to. But yeah, this front office has been very clear that there are not endless opportunities at the major league level anymore. That's not a thing. Now, Brian Shaw and Luke Maley and uh, Austin Hedges are in a little bit different situation because they do hold specific roles on this team, right? Uh, Maley and and, uh, Austin Hedges both call a very good game. You need two catchers. Catchers are very hard to come by. Uh, Brian Shaw is the veteran voice in the bullpen. So those guys maybe are getting more opportunities uh, than Fermio Reyes got or Oscar Mercado got, but they have very specific roles on the team. For Fermio Reyes, that DH spot is very important to this team and getting guys at bats. And uh, and so is right field. And he, Antonetti made it very clear, no longer have endless opportunities on this team. He's got to go down to AAA. If he figures things out at AAA, he could find himself back up here. It could happen. I I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, last time he was in AAA on a rehab assignment, he was hammering AAA pitching. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully they challenge him, and hopefully he figures out how to lay off those breaking balls away, and he figures out how to start hammering stuff in the strike zone again. Because it was a weird season for Fermil Reyes with that, uh, where he was just missing stuff in the strike zone too. So, all right, I mean, I could go through every trade at the trade deadline here. The Twins got better. So this weird trade we made, uh, the Sandy Leone thing, Antonetti talked about it. Basically, they promised Sandy Leone. You know, they, they told him, if a major league opportunity comes up, we will absolutely do whatever it takes to get you there and get you back into the majors. And that's just a, that's just a thing you do for a veteran like Sandy Leone, right? Especially veteran catchers. Because veteran catchers bounce around the league I mean, he's going to be playing on like three teams in the one season. Uh, and yeah, you have injuries. You have other reasons why you need a veteran catcher. And so they told him like, look, if an opportunity comes up and twins needed someone and, uh, you know, they worked it out. Ian Hamilton, I'm not sure what we're getting. 
uh, with him. He seems like a guy who's been stuck in the minors for a long time. He has had stints with the White Sox and Twins where he has reached the majors before. Uh, I can tell you that his strikeouts per nine number, anytime Cleveland trades for a minor league pitcher, whether it's, or gives somebody a uh, spring training invite, right? You know, a reliever gets a spring training invite. Uh, look, immediately go to their strikeouts per nine. I saw it with Eniel De Los Santos, and I'm seeing it here with Ian Hamilton. Double-digit strikeouts per nine. That's what Cleveland looks for. If you give Cleveland a buffet of relief pitchers, they're going to look for the one that's got you know, 11, 12 Ks per nine, and that's the guy they're going to go for. They think they can work with that out of the bullpen. So we'll see if we ever see Ian Hamilton or not. Uh, you know, they do kind of churn through that last spot in the bullpen. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure someone will be get sent down in the next day or two and someone else will get called up. We'll see if Ian Hamilton ends up in that rotation and gets a shot here at the back end of our bullpen. Uh, yeah, what other trades really impacted you? Uh, Trey Mancini gets traded to Houston. Uh, and then... Um, Whit Merrifield really late goes to the Toronto Blue Jays. I'm surprised both veteran, veteran guys on their teams, leaders in the clubhouse, both get traded here at the deadline for reasonable packages. I Not that we need Whit Merrifield anymore. I think, I think last year, Whit Merrifield would have been someone we could have targeted. Uh, Trey Mancini, I think, maybe could have helped a little more because at first base, you still... Still could use a first baseman on this team that is your everyday first baseman, but uh, you know pushes Josh Naylor into much more of a DH role. But so I thought Mancini would have made some sense, but both those guys go to contenders for very reasonable prospect packages in return. Uh, so yeah, so those were some of my thoughts on the forty man roster on the forty man roster on the trade deadline. Aside from Soto going to the San Diego Padres and Castillo going to the Mariners, I thought most of the trades made were for very reasonable prospect packages that absolutely the Cleveland Guardians could have afforded if they wanted to. If they wanted to add a starting pitcher uh, like Frankie Montas from Oakland, they could have matched that package that the Yankees gave. If they wanted a first baseman like Trey Mancini, they could have matched that package that the Orioles got. Uh, So yeah, it is frustrating that the Guardians didn't do anything, but you have the company line from Antonetti. I mean, they just, they're going to really believe in this farm system uh, to produce. Uh, there could be other guys we see make their debut this year. I mean, we're we're not done yet seeing debuts. And speaking of debuts, really quickly, we have a Will Benson debut. And just to give you a little bit of background, we love profiling this guy. He is a big guy. He was a dual sport athlete in high school. Uh, I got some good information over here from the Guardians Baseball Insider website. Uh, he was a dual athlete um, in high school, played basketball and baseball. We took him in the first round of the 2018 draft, uh, the 18th overall pick. He's 6'5", 230, uh, and he uh, really, really has some high power projections. Uh, Fangraphs, they have his hit only as a 30, projecting to a 35. They have his game power as a 40, projecting to a 60. His raw power they have at a 70 grade, which is really high. Remember, this is on an ace 20 to 80 grading scale. Uh, his speed, they've got him at a 55. His fielding at a 45 with the potential for a 50. His throw, his arm, they have him at an 80 grade arm. This is a rocket in right field. 
I mean, I don't think we've seen an arm this good in right field since, uh, remember Sinshu Chu in right field? That guy had a missile. I loved watching Sinshu Chu throw people out of third base, throw people out at home from right field. Nolan Jones has a very good arm out there. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez has a very good arm out there, and now Will Benson adds to that mix. Um, his future value, they only have him at a 40, though. So one of the things in his scouting report uh, what he does well is draw walks and hit home runs, so he can get on base very well. Uh, what he needed to improve, what Guardians Baseball Insider said he needed to improve, uh, is his ability to make contact and put the ball in play. Um, however, however, if we go over here to fan graphs, now once you get into some more of the advanced stats, they don't have much from the minor leagues, including plate discipline numbers. We do not have plate discipline numbers from the minor leagues on fan graphs. The one number we have is swinging strike rate. And his swinging strike rate has fallen this year significantly at AAA. Like most guys, if you look at his numbers, his 2021 AAA numbers suffer. They're bad. And then in 2022, they look a lot better. We see that a lot. When guys make the step up, they struggle, and then they come back the next year, and they're back to themselves. Well, the one thing that's improved is the swinging strike rate. It has dropped from 17.2, his first taste of AAA, to 8.7 this year. That is a significant drop in swinging strike. To go along with that, his K rate has fallen. It went from a 39.3% K rate in AAA in 2021 to a 22.7 K rate. Um, that's very good. An 18.7 walk rate. It's almost, it's an eight, it's a 0.82 walk-to-strikeout ratio, getting really close to a one-to-one walk-to-strikeout ratio. He had one of the highest OPSs in the minor leagues. He was hammering the ball. He had 17 home runs this season in AAA. Now, his profile, he does pull the ball. He is a pretty heavy pull hitter for most of his career. Uh, 40, 50% pull hitter for most of his career. Uh, and he's pretty even between ground balls and fly balls. Uh, had been a little bit more of a fly ball hitter previously, but now that he's reached the AAA level, that's kind of even out between ground balls and fly balls. So we'll see. He's only gotten two pinch hit at bats so far. He has not gotten a start. There's a lefty starter today, so I'd be surprised if he gets the start today. I was shocked he didn't start last night against the righty. So we're still waiting for Will Benson to make his full debut, to make his start. But there's a little bit of a background on Will Benson. Um, yeah, he's someone who, if the power plays up here at the major league level, uh, really, and he continues to have that good eye at the plate that he's shown, uh, you know, this year at AAA, could be a really, really valuable player, a really valuable outfielder. We've got a lot of outfielders coming for a team that has struggled to find outfielders. I mean, Quan is not going anywhere. If anybody's going anywhere, it's going to be Straw right now, but they still, Francona still loves Miles Straw. Um, but you could see a potential where you got to get Benson and Nolan Jones in this lineup and Oscar Gonzalez, you know, as the right-hander in this combo where Quan moves over to center field to make room for these guys, to make room for these big, powerful guys in the corners. Uh, so, yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, with five outfielders, I can see a little bit of that. Uh, Strom maybe taking a few days off in center field and Quan moving over there. Um, so, we'll see what happens. I don't know if Benson 
can play any center field. I'm not sure where they were playing him down there in AAA, if it was exclusively in the corners or if he got any taste of center field. But Quan can easily uh, slide over there into center field. All right, so that is all my thoughts on this one. Another long episode, but that's what happens when the trade deadline comes around. There is so much to talk about. So Chris in New Jersey, thank you for your email. Frankly, I'm surprised the inbox wasn't flooded with angry Cleveland Guardians fans uh, upset about the trade deadline because I saw Guardians Twitter and it was a mess. I mean, some really, really disappointed people on the day. And I'm one of them because I thought there were definitely opportunities to add at this trade deadline. The good news is the good. All right. I'm always going to be the optimist here. The good news is, like Hanson Eddie said, we have so many good prospects and they are coming fast. We've already got four rookies in our outfield right now. They are coming fast. Not to mention, I mean, this fantastic core of young infielders and more on the way that need to find room somehow on this roster. There's so many good young talent players coming. The future is still very bright. I Yeah, I want to see them make a run here in 2022. I'm not giving up on 2022. This division is winnable. Get me to the playoffs. Anything could happen. Adding some pitching really would have helped that. Really would have been nice at a playoff push. But hey, we're going with what we got. We're charging ahead. Let's go win this Diamondback series at split 1-1. Let's go win the day game, the getaway day. Let's go win this thing. We got Bieber on the mound against a rookie making his major league debut. So he's a left-hander. So we'll, whenever that happens, it seems to go. They seem to have really good days against us, don't they? Don't feel like every rookie has their best day ever against us. And it doesn't work out the same way for our rookies. We'll see what happens. Let's go hammer this lefty. Let's go win this series. Um, yeah. Keep enjoying Guardians baseball. Don't I, You could be frustrated, you know, yesterday. It's fine. Let's keep enjoying Guardians baseball. Let's have a fun playoff push here. Let's go do it. All right. That's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this very long Cleveland baseball morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts as we move past the trade deadline, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.